Getting geared up for wonder? Uh, no. Oh. Have you ever played through any of those 2D, like the new 2D, 2D Marios? Like Super Mario? Bros, Deluxe, like, because there's been a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what it is. I've never played through any of those. I mean, we, we gave Super Mario Bros. Deluxe, like, a couple of family game nights. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't stick. Yeah, I think same same for me. I mean, I I just wonder if there's something to be said that there's a, a shelf life, right? Like Mario has shifted into everyone's like collective subconscious, mm-hmm. unconscious. And a lot of people are primed to respond and react to Mario. But as a game... There are so many other iterations of 2D side-scrolling mm-hmm. that are more engaging, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think specifically with Mario, there's they seem to be doing... They seem to do kind of the... Um, they do like the big marquee, new console, new real Mario game. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like you get the sports games and Mario party. And then right. you get like, you know, Mario, Mario, Mario bros, deluxe, Mario bros wonder. But then I wouldn't expect like a real Mario, like Odyssey or whatever to come out until whatever the next console, the next console. And the, the side scrolling again, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Mario. That's why you get excited. Yeah. Are you really excited for, the game Mario? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is pretty... It's still pretty... Why? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if Wonder is supposed to be why that's everyone's so excited about it. Is it supposed to be different? But it does still seem to be pretty limited to, like... Mario. It's still basically <laughs> Mario. You're running from left to right and jumping yeah. across stuff. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you're going <laughs> Mario. Like, yeah, I remember when I first... The, the last... I'm trying to think like side scrolly game that I played through to completion may have been Raymond Legends. Yeah. I remember playing that for the first time being like, yeah, side scrolling, whatever. But the speed of it. Yeah. And just like how he feels mm-hmm. to, to move or like Super Meat Boy play, you know, mm-hmm. like that to me is progression. Yeah. Super Mario is just iteration. Right. Right. See Mario be a elephant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Is that going to be fun to play? I don't know, but he's an elephant. You're still just jumping across pipes and hitting people with your trunk now. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okie Sorry, Mario. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> that's not a licensed sound that you made right it's that's just like turned a, up too loud <laughs> i was like there's no way nintendo <laughs> heard that noise and said yep stick that wherever that belongs hey, i'll turn it down i'll turn it down it'll sound better Yippee! nope that's real that's from mario that's from mario 64 really that's Yippee! that's mm-hmm. martin a yeah, speaking of which, he's not going to be in the new one, right? That's the big deal. Yeah, he's now like a brand ambassador. 
which seems like a sweet gig if you can get it. Go around. I mean, it seems like it'd be pretty sweet to just say yippee in the video game and not have to go anywhere. Did he, he did new yippies, right? It's not just like. No, someone else is doing it now. No, no, but, but I'm saying like through all the Mario games. Oh, I'm is sure. Is it confirmed yeah. that he yippied? I'm sure. Distinctly for every, okay. Why, why, where's the four hour YouTube video on that? The history of Martinez yippies. I'm sure it's there. Did you, speaking of. Did you watch the two and a half hour? I did. Oh. And I watched it. Every frame. <laughs> I watched the whole Such thing. Such intensity. <laughs> um, what'd you think? It was. Should we intro what it is? I just realized. Yeah, it was interesting. So it was called This is Financial Advice, right? By a channel called Folding Ideas. Right. The same guy that did the NFT, the two-hour NFT video from a year ago, maybe. And he did one, yeah, Line Goes Up. Yeah. And he did one called In Search of the Flat Earth about the Flat Earth conspiracy a mm-hmm. few years ago. That's that's really good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, I you're definitely right in that there's absolutely no reason to actually sit down and watch it you would be better served to play it in the background listen to it as a podcast if possible or if you have youtube or just play it on youtube and go do something else and listen to which it. is which is why i did yeah um with that being said i i i may have been able to do that but i would have been constantly checking my screen to see what was on the screen just out (laughs) it's just like a personality thing i don't know i wouldn't be i wouldn't be able to purely listen to it yeah i would have to see what was going on the screen but um yeah i thought it was interesting it's it's a little exhausting but in theory it's like one of those things where it's like yeah i want someone to kind of do all this work for me and explain this whole deal to me and that's what it is Mm -hmm. every single detail breaks down the whole GameStop thing um it yeah. seems like he has a good grasp on it it's about the game stock but you know stock market manipulation yeah. mm-hmm. and the big takeaway for me is QAnon is not new the the very it's it's almost the same template yeah of QAnon thinking is applied to these gamer stonk mm-hmm. meme stonk people right yeah um where it's all hidden messages hidden codes um people who they've built up like a whole mythology with people who have varying degrees of knowledge that they even exist mm-hmm. and everything that those people say are um is like idolized and picked through Mm -hmm. and those people are like, okay, I'm saying this clearly. And they're like, Oh, that's a sign that he's not, he's giving us a code. And it's so bizarre. It makes me think again of, um, under the silver lake, which Mm -hmm. I think is proving to be like the most prescient film of the last decade Mm -hmm. in terms of like, seeing where internet culture 
leads in the, in the specific brain worms that you can get. Because I think we as humans are primed to see patterns. Yeah. And to look for explanations. Answer the question. Yeah. We don't just want answers. We want it all to fit in a nice, like, connected circle. <laughs> I hope you got that. So can you do it one more time? Is <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah for sure uh did you listen to that podcast with hayes you did right uh-huh. about under the silver lake yeah for me one of those things that like i didn't necessarily enjoy consuming it the movie i didn't really like watching the movie but I've liked everything after watching the movie. I've liked listening to people talk about it. I've liked reading theories about the movie. But the movie itself just didn't do it for me. Um, do we want to launch straight into <clears throat> a discussion on pretension? Sure. Oh! Yes. Would you... Um, would you apply the term pretentious to under the silver lake? No. Okay. Cause I think for me, whenever talking about like the idea of pretension in art, I think you need to start by defining it because I think sure. pretentious as a term is almost useless at this point. Yeah, that's, I agree with that. So when you say pretentious, what do you think of? So I think when a lot of people, I think, use pretentious as a rejection of broad appeal. Anything that works against a marketable, broad consumption of it, I think a lot of people will just say, oh, that's pretentious, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a bad definition. My, when I use the term or, or consider the term, I'm usually applying it to any piece of art that uses broad, like market appeal concepts mm-hmm. to make their vision more broadly acceptable, right? Like, as soon as you think, I don't need to make this thing, but I need the maximum amount of people to then engage with this thing, Mm -hmm. I think you are then dancing on the precipice of pretentiousness and so an example would be like the the generic idea of the oscar bait movie right Mm -hmm. i almost think that it's inherently like you can't beat the the definition of pretension if you have you know for example uh i'm gonna make this movie about crabbers the hard scrabble life mm. of a New England crabber. 
Yeah. And you pull in on the boat, and who pops his head up? Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. You know, D- D- DiCaprio has, has the crapper. And you're immediately going to be like, that's not, he's not a crapper. <laughs> like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, this is stupid. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do think of like Revolutionary Road, which I think was DiCaprio and like Kate Winslet, their big thing. I remember watching that and just being like, this is not a couple yeah. fighting, you know? Sure. These are big time actors like going for it, making their shot. Yeah. And if you are making that, I think if I write a film and I immediately go, this is a personal story that needs to be played by Denzel Washington and some other big and Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. then you, you might be pretentious in your sure. conceit. Yeah, I guess it, for you, it's like a self-seriousness almost. Yeah, I, I get, and I think it's like, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I want to write a story that's just about a breakup that I went through. Uh-huh. But I'm going to make it a horror story because horror sells. And uh, you end up not, it's not a horror story. It's about your, your breakup and you're just trying to market it or push it into a more broadly acceptable package. Mm-hmm. And so then I read your book, which is like, ooh, horror story for Halloween. It's like, no, this is just about a depressed person going through a breakup and, you know, dealing with a ghost (laughs) on the side (laughs) that never is resolved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, It makes sense. I don't know if that's how I would define pretentiousness. I mean, I get the self-seriousness side of it. I think that's probably uh, the most common definition, someone taking themselves too seriously. Well, I want to say that it's not not about taking yourself seriously. Like, I think that's removed from it Mm -hmm. because I respond well to somebody who is, like, trying to make something of value. Right, like an un, I guess what I mean is like an unearned seriousness, I suppose. However yeah. you would define that, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's like a sub definition is somebody who is just trying to <clears throat> create something of value based on something else that's been made. Uh-huh. So they're, they're not making an original idea. They're trying to make their own eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Right. It's like, you can't do that. Go make your own thing. Um you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, would you consider Eternal Sunshine pretentious? When's the last time you watched it? I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I would not. And again, I think that comes from, like, intention. So Garden State would be a good example. Garden State is pretentious. Yeah. I think it hits some of the things that I was complaining about, right? Like you have this vision for a small kind of seemingly more art mm-hmm. independent film. And you like, and Natalie Portman is my girlfriend. You know, it's like Natalie, Port- really Natalie Portman <laughs> is your version of this small independent. Uh. Like, I don't think so. And 
it does ape so much other stuff. Which again, if it's made with intention, I don't have a problem with. Mm-hmm. But when you create with this idea that this is going to be big and therefore I need big big movie stars, it needs to have a big platform. Mm-hmm. It's like that's when, when when you're pretentious. I guess, but then how does any big movie get made? Well, I think big movie, like, again, it's like, well, what big movies are we talking about? Again, if we're talking about pretension. The Rock? Yeah, you, you mainly focus on the Oscar bait movies. Mm-hmm. And the other big movies that come out of Hollywood now are all action movies. They're all comic book movies. Yeah, and comic book movies, which they're they're trying to do their own. They're not smart enough to even try to be pretentious. They're just trying to make money. Mm. You know, think about the big, the the highest grossing films of the last few years. Mission Impossible is it pretentious? No. Yeah. Just trying to make money. <clears throat> John it's a Wick. Fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Is it no? But you still have. Shit like Green Book or whatever, mm-hmm. which is like, hell yeah. Sure. Um, the definition of pretentious. Oh, here we go. Breaking out the dictionary. Is attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, etc. than actually possess. Okay. Well, okay. That last bit works against my definition, but I didn't read that. That does kind of fall in line with what I'm saying, right? Sure. Like you have a vision for something, but you're not content with the vision being itself. Mm-hmm. You need it to be as important as you think it is or should be. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I don't like that definition because if you're going to do something, you have to, by definition, consider it to be worth doing yeah but i think what i'm saying is in the way that people would conceive of that is by using market language market sure ap- marketability approaches they would then start thinking about who could i include to get this out to the biggest audience how could i make this be consumed by the most people oh hi yeah so may, maybe for me, pretentious is more of like a marketing. Uh huh. Yeah. When when you say pretentious, I think of something like. To me, it's the definition I think of is more along the lines of like trying to be something or do something just for the sake of that thing, like when you mention when we talked about under the silver lake, it's like a kind of obscure movie, uh, you know, kind of all over the place, but I didn't feel like it was just all over the place just for the sake of being all over the place. There's a very specific reason why it's that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know who I think of, when you say pretentious art is your boy, Wes Anderson. That's the first name that came to mind. Um, it just seems like he's got his head up his ass a little bit. 
and he does doesn't seem like he's done anything different. Like he's made twenty of the same movies. You know what I mean? Now, there's a few things that I just want to point out before we <laughs> continue this conversation. What was uh-huh. the last Wes Anderson movie? I saw French Connection. Right? I don't know. Stunk. That's what it's called, though, right? Sure. It's not any good. I didn't like it. What was the one before that? The French Dispatch, by the way. The French Dispatch. Okay, I saw that. It wasn't even good enough for me to remember the name of it. You not remembering the name of something means Um, nothing about that thing. Okay. Grand Budapest Hotel, I enjoyed. Um... Isle of Dogs. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, you know, I guess it's, I guess it's it's less about Wes Anderson and more like I'm just, I don't feel the need to. I don't engage. Feel, I don't feel the need to engage with okay, it anymore. So, so here's the, here's the other kind of definition that I think people misapply pretension to which is your interest and engagement in that thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of artists get labeled as pretentious because they love whatever medium they're working in Mm -hmm. so much that their iteration, their advancement of that medium is happening on such a deeper level that you have to love the thing enough to access what they're doing. Right. I guess though. From the outside looking in, we can look at a, at a painter. Uh huh. Who is it? Is it Rothko? Yeah. Who does the, uh, just the colors, black canvas. (laughs) Yeah. And big squares or whatever. Yeah. Rothko who does lots of color, just big canvases of color. I remember the first time I saw Jackson Pollock painting in real life. Mm-hmm. It actually like got me. Like, sure. like I, I actually had a reaction to it. Not thinking that I would because the the idea behind him is like, yeah, I just sprinkled paint everywhere. But they they were artists who achieved recognition either because their whole industry is shit, and you then get to judge that entire industry. Or because maybe you're not interested enough in it to understand. And that's, and that's fine. You know, people don't have to like film, you know? I mean, yeah, I guess, look, I haven't seen enough Wes Anderson to say. So It doesn't seem like he's made huge advancements in his chosen form of, shooting everything directly head on like it's very twee or whatever it's very precious like is that not what he's still doing no no it, but asteroid city is not like that no because here's here's the thing right like you are and this is the this is the problem with the way people use pretension like the way you 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 did mm-hmm. it ju- it just reveals more about yourself than it does the artist that you are applying it to. So number one, right? People say that about Scorsese 
a lot. Do they? Yeah, especially because he's come out against Marvel. I mean, but we're not talking about... We're not talking about Marvel fans. Yeah, but no, but I'm talking about people who would then use that, try to weaponize that idea of pretension as an attack against somebody that they just are not interested in. You're just not interested in him. You know, he's, but he's at, not pretentious. at one point I was interested in him. But what, what he's doing, and then this also gets back to something that I, I felt like I would have... In college, you and I, this is our night now. Mm-hmm. And I, I apologize for that now that I'm older. Uh-huh. Because I would think that there's inherent value. You are making an, an objective, not, not you're making a, an objective observation about Wes Anderson. You're saying, Subjective. does he not, No, no, because uh, what you're saying is, Right. He's doing the same thing, is he not? Like, he's just shooting things straight away. He's just sure. trying to make it symmetrical. So you're objectively trying to say, this is what he does. He's just iterating it. He's do- he- This is what he's doing. My response is then, no, because here's my three-hour folding ideas video on so, the nuances. So what of- you're saying is that Asteroid City is fundamentally stylistically different than uh rushmore but but we are yes but also we are we're just applying pretension to stylistic expression no i'm just saying like what i'm saying is okay i've i watched bottle i watched bottle rocket i watched rushmore i watched royal tenenbaums i watched like five Wes Anderson movies in a row as they came out. And at a certain point, it felt like for me, he was more or less doing the same thing in every movie. And there would, didn't seem to be any, like, I don't, I didn't see a lot of emotional growth in any of his stories or his characters. It seemed to be hitting a lot of the same beats, a lot of the same pacing, a lot of the same, stylistic choices to where it finally got to a point where it's like, well, I, f- I feel like I've seen this movie in one form or another seven different times before. So why am I now going to watch it again? You know what I mean? It just seems like most of the stuff that he's done. I mean, you can't argue that he doesn't, he's not known for a visual style. Yeah, I'm and he's not known to. for that for a reason because all of his movies look like that. So how is how does it how is he not have a style that he's known for? He does. Okay, he does. He does but but that's not that has nothing to do with being pretend. That's I'm ev- not uh, everything to do with developing a specific unique style. So like sure, Rothko, Pollock. Right. I'm not arguing that having a style is pretentious. But I will say that Wes and the style that Wes Anderson has is pretentious. It is very and that and that so that's the other thing I wanted to say, and I think this is what it gets a little tricky comparing something like paintings to movies, and this also plays a little bit into the video game stuff I wanted to talk about later on down the road. But I think 
there's something to the idea of like Mark Rothko can paint one painting. Mark? That's his name, isn't it? I don't I knew Rothko. You know Mark? His name's Mark, yes. Wow, look at you. Um, And he can sell that painting to one person, and that is a success, right? That's all he has to do. Whereas Wes Anderson... Does does he have some sort of responsibility to like <laughs> not be so insular? You know what I mean? To a certain degree, his success relies on a lot of people seeing his movies. So does he have any responsibility to try and make those more accessible? That that is a valid question, I think, and not I don't hear a lot of people willing to talk about it, which is part of, part of the consideration is I think about like that dad who has worked a manual labor job Mm -hmm. all day coming home tired and his son just wants to watch a movie with his dad and says, look what I got. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out inherent vice. I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He pulls out maybe a Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And this dad just being like, what the hell is this? You know? Or Mandy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking about the person who made that film and being like, is this something that you would go pick up from a movie store with your friends, bring home, pop in, watch and be like, mm-hmm. yes, this whole thing's in this, thermal vision. This whole thing's in the, <laughs> yeah. This, this one, they haven't moved the camera in 14 minutes. Right. And these people are still talking. <laughs> this is incredible. You know, to, to, to not have a, consideration of a generic kind of person picking up and engaging with your, with your film. What does that say? Right. I made something that's purposefully for me. That's not for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch anyone else's film like that. You know what I mean? Like that's pretentious. Sure. But I don't think it's pretentious to say, I created something for me. I get it. And I also am open to other people's stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's about intentionality. And you can't know everybody's intention in like why they make something. But I do think, especially with Wes Anderson, what you get when you look at all of his films is yeah. you, you get a picture of who that person is. That there's authenticity, there's, if not him, if if I can't say these are the things that Wes Anderson himself is concerned with, uh-huh. I can look at all of his films and come away with a clear arc, clear ideas that he's wrestled with throughout all these films that are, that are clear that you can point to, mm-hmm. you know? So his films are not pretentious to me because... He's made so many of them to show who he is as an artist. And when you care enough to like 
digging deeper, it's there. It's clearly there. Like all of it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to like, like I, I, I feel like if I wanted to, I could present it in a way where you'd be like, I see that and not, no, you're, you're BSing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't ever argue that like you don't get anything out of it. Yeah. But, but again, what I'm saying is like, that's, that's the answer to your question then. Like, sure. Like what's, what's his responsibility to one person gets it me. And then I'm reflected by enough for him to have a career. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and then, and then it, it goes back to the feeling where I think that I accepted and now I reject is that I'm pretentious. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger, it, it was this idea of like, oh, well, Keith, he's just pretentious like that. It's like, I, I, I never wanted to be. Mm-hmm. If, if I was pretentious, it wasn't out of desire. Um, it was out of like loving things enough that it made me curious to like. I love you. To learn more about it, mm-hmm. learn more about the person. And then I become a person like you and I fundamentally disagree where I become a person who is like excited about a director's movie because they made it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, make me want to see each and every one of your films. Right. And for too long, I was like, oh yeah, I'm pretend, I'm pretentious. And then it's like, oh, I was like, no, I'm not pretentious. I, this stuff is meaningful to me. Sure. And I think that's a misapplication of the term. I don't think it applies to people like Wes Anderson who are engaging in art in an authentic, in an authentic way. Um, the other thing that came out recently that made me think of this is Sufjan Stevens' new album, uh-huh. which is amazing to me. And, <laughs> you know, hearing people respond to Sufjan Stevens... And again, a lot of people say like pretentious. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're making a value judgment by that claim, by how you're using it in a way that you then refuse to accept mm-hmm. because then you don't back up when someone pushes back against you. You're like, whatever, man, it's just get out of your own ass. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're not interested in it. Yeah, but then you could just make that argument about anything. Then nothing is pretentious. No, again, I think I think things are pretentious when you can point to the here is the product. Let's evaluate to sticking with like albums. Mm-hmm. I would think that it would be pretentious for somebody to make a single and then have the rest of the album be aggressively not that single. Yeah, I don't get that. Unless thematically it fits. So an example of the of the not like this is an anti example. Uh-huh. This is an example of how to do it correctly. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I just realized you have no um reference for this artist. And even if you did, you would absolutely hate, hate it and hate them. Uh-huh. But 
there's a. That sounds like me. Exactly. Sounds like you. Um, there's a singer called Ethel Kane, and she came out with an album called uh, Preacher's Daughter. And in Okey-dokey. that album, which is like a um, <coughs> a concept album, mm-hmm. she's like telling this whole narrative, um, Southern Gothic narrative, lots of religious imagery and stuff like that. She has a song called American Teenager, which is like a pop song. Mm-hmm. Straight up pop song. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like her Taylor Swift riff, right? But just like the title conveys, it's about an, uh, the American teenager. You know, it's a commentary and a reflection of that concept, right? Um mm-hmm. And then the rest of the album is not like American Teenager. If somebody listened to American Teenager, I could see somebody who loves like Taylor Swift or whoever being like, oh, this sounds great. And then listening to the rest of the album being like, there's a nine minute song where she's in hell in it. You know, this album has like a nine minute song of like heavy breathing, backwards talking, this like horrific scream. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not American Teenager. That's not what you would go to that album for. So someone who is marketing that though, doing that with the intention that I need people to hear my music. And the way I'm going to do that is like, maybe I'll even bring in a a ghostwriter to write me a pop 40 hit. I'll I'll be Maroon 5 about it, Mm -hmm. right? Maroon 5, that guy got caught or wasn't upfront with his use of ghostwriters, ghostwriters, right? For like some of his big singles because Mm -hmm. he just... Couldn't couldn't match his vision. It's like if you can't match your vision, then your your vision's not big enough, or you're not the right person for that vision. Well, that's like the entire pop music industry. Then maybe it's all pretentious. Mm. Yeah. Or it falls into the Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just money. You're just trying to make money, mm-hmm. and maybe it's for the people who have visions of again, like. I keep going back to it, but the idea of like Oscar bait and which like Wes Anderson is never going to be considered someone who's like fishing for that Oscar. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get that, that accolade. No, he's trying to make the movies that he wants to make. And when he makes it, it's clearly him. And the, the ideas that he's dealing with clearly have a progression to them. Equals I'll have, I'll have to take your word equals, for it. Equals <laughs> not pretentious. And I think I think if somebody is not willing to engage in an artist's body of work, uh-huh. I don't know that they can use that term of pretension. So you're trying to gatekeep pretension now? Yeah, I think I am. Right. There's so again, it it's like it's not for you. Mm-hmm. It's twee, it's fine, mm-hmm. but Wes Anderson is pretentious. Uh, I just want to be like, you're not saying anything about him when you say that. I mean. Because, yeah, if I want to talk about Asteroid City, you're going to be like, huh? If I want to talk about his last four shorts, you're going to be like, what? Mm-hmm. So, then, so, then what, so I just have to sit here and you say he's pretentious and then I just have to be like, no, he's not. No, you can say whatever you want to say. I'm not telling well, you what did. to say. All right. I also said what I wanted to say. Well, I said what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same 
conversation that we always have, which is what is subjective and what is objective, right? You can't really say anything objectively. Everything is subjective. Yeah. You can, I can't say objectively Wes Anderson is pretentious, but you also can't say objectively Wes Anderson is not pretentious because it de- depends on the person. It depends maybe, on who's saying it or who's making the judgment. But maybe I can look at the way that the word pretentious is being thrown around and try to refine that usage. By the way, we're, we're going to have to take a quick, quick pause. Okay. That's okay. Hello. Doki. Guess who's back? We have to keep our country gay. Um. So before we move on, because I I definitely am, am ready to move on, I do want to say that. None of what we talked about was what I intended with okay. the pretentiousness because the what made me think about it today was a book that I read. Okay. And so specifically, I was like wanting to explore the idea of pretentiousness in terms of writing and books because mm-hmm. I think it's a lot more easily identifiable in books. Mm-hmm. And something that I just haven't thought about Talk as much. Him. But yeah, what this was year. the book? Um, the the book is it's actually a book that I didn't hate, and there's probably there have been other books that I would use that term with more mm-hmm. directly. But it's the book that made me think about pretentiousness. It's called Our Wives Under the Sea, and it's just about. The Little Mermaid. It's <laughs> it's just about a dissolution of a relationship, but also the Little a, Mermaid. Hello, everyone. Yes, it's about the Little Mermaid. <laughs> you you are right. Uh huh. Um, but maybe that's we can talk about that another time. Um. Okay. Did you want to? So one thing I was thinking about. Um, and I guess this is somewhat related to what we were just talking about. Uh, but it's come up a couple times in the different things I have been listening to. Um, and the most recent one was on the besties when they were talking about cyberpunk and Chris plant had kind of a throwaway remark that they did not follow at all but he said something about just like threw threw away something about video games as art you know uh and how does that work with something like cyberpunk where it's released and it's like practically unplayable Mm -hmm. it's bad and then two years go by and it's great. It's yeah. And it works now. It actually works. You can actually play it and it's good. Uh, there was that aspect of it. What? There was something else. 
I can't believe I didn't write it down. There's something else that had me thinking along those lines. But I guess it was really that, just kind of the idea of like, how do you judge, kind of like I was saying before with painters, like Mark Rothko, Jackson Pollock, whoever can make one painting and sell that one painting to one person, and that's a success. I guess the larger question for me is, is like, at what point does something go from being a piece of art to just being a product? And at what point does it walk the line between those two? At what point is it just a piece of art? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when it comes to video games, I, I think more pointedly, it's like movies kind of have to deal with this video games more pointedly because you have something that is changes over time. You know what I mean? You can how can you say cyberpunk is a piece of art when the cyberpunk that was released is fundamentally different than what it is now? Which one of those versions is the piece of art? You know what I mean? Yeah, if you have the wooden ship and you Re replace every piece of wood with another piece of wood. Right. Is it the same ship? Is um, it a different ship? So I just found that idea to be interesting. What uh, a pretentious idea. Just That was the other thing I was going to say when it comes to pretentiousness. I think you could declare the whole conversation we're having as being pretentious. Right? Nope. Because um, our, our intention is pure. So yeah. So when it comes to something like video games, is it <coughs> Ooh, is it <coughs> see that coughs like that is what protects us from being pretentious a pretentious <laughs> podcast would make sure to edit that out to not lord burp, have mercy i'm about to bust <laughs> to burp and cough on mic and is it one or the other can it be both can it be both a piece of art and a product that's used to make money for people that you sell that you can, in the case of video games, sue a company over because it doesn't perform, perform. how it's supposed to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like this art didn't do the thing that I wanted it to do. Right. Um, here's the class action lawsuit. Here's a class action lawsuit. <laughs> and well, some people have tried to do that, right? Like, whether it's Piss Christ, you know, the crucifix in the jar of urine. Mm -hmm. Who's that artist that like just put a urinal on the wall? Mm -hmm. Like people get furious. Um, with video games specifically, it does, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, is I do think it has to do with the intention with which you consider marketability with your art mm -hmm. and i think that means a lot of it is hard for us as the consumer to evaluate mm -hmm. but if you create something that's based on mass market appeal i think just like i would argue you are then flirting mm -hmm in the areas of pretentiousness mm. 
depending on your vision, how it's using mass market appeal to execute the vision that you have. I think in this case, you are flirting with having the, the, the term art be revoked from your product. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, you blew it! No, you're no longer art. Is the iPhone 15 art? Right. Or a product? By, by, by this point, mm -hmm. you know? To what level of development are you putting in? You know, is Madden, is the last Madden game art? Mm -hmm. You know? Especially when it's just designed to appeal to the same basic audience and to actually not rock the boat. Like, all those games, right? FIFA, Madden... Mm -hmm. They're all designed to... Well, they're designed to make as much money as possible. And to not rock the boat of the user, right? Mm -hmm. To give the users what they want and what they expect. Cyberpunk, though, by its very nature of not having mass appeal, I think makes it... Cyberpunk had mass appeal. But... I mean, Cyberpunk had so much mass appeal that it came out, it re released completely broken. And Project, what are they called? CD Project CD Red. CD Project Red could have just stopped, never touched it again, and it would have been profitable. See, I would say, like, that's a job of Cyberpunk, its initial sales, and this is maybe unique to video games. Mm hmm are subject to so much more influence of marketing mm -hmm. and hype and less to do with the product. I think video games pretty much solely live in the realm of hype. Like, I watched the E3 presentation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. they Again, what, what people are finally pushing against are these CG trailers. Mm -hmm. People are like, your CG trailer is not your product because I can't play that. Right. Well, what it now is, is it's in-game engine, right? Yeah. The, the, that's what Xbox, that's what Microsoft have been, has been doing, which is all of our trailers our are, footages. are all of our trailers. None of our trailers are CG, right? And then you see the trailer and it's like in-game engine. Yeah. So it's not you're it's not the game. It's using the It's engine. still just a trailer. It's still just a cinematic basically. You're not yeah. actually showing me the game, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that to me is like it's it's hard to then evaluate it as were those sales based on the product? Mm -hmm. I think the argument is no, obviously, because it came out broken. So you can't use that as uh in in the discussion of like is it art? Is it not? Well, it sold so many copies. Yeah, because of the 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 ecosystem mm -hmm. that gamers exist in. For CD CD Project Red could announce an untitled game and release it as untitled, and it would probably be a success, mm -hmm. even if you knew nothing. Um, and then people would engage and be like, "This sucks. This is awful." So I think it's more about like 
experiencing the game and then making the determination rather than how marketable was it? How well did it do? Does that then make it art or not? I think it's, you, you have to play the game. Do you think, um, how something is made has any role or any, uh, determination on something's artistic merit? Like I could write a book, Mm -hmm. sit in my office by myself and write a book Mm -hmm. and it could be done and then someone could go read it and be like this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever read in my life or they'd be like this is a masterpiece Mm -hmm. same thing with the painters they can sit in a room and make a painting and that's their piece of art musicians can make their music on their own and that's their piece of art I'm not making a movie by myself, right? I'm not making a video game by myself. You could arguably make a movie by yourself, but it wouldn't, it, I guess it wouldn't now with all the technology we have, but it, it it would be a far cry from something that would be considered like a watchable movie, I guess. You can't make a video game by yourself, really. I mean... Some people have. Yeah, I guess with the internet, but I'm talking about like distributing and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like, but I mean, so, so to that point though, does that play a role in it? If it's a guy, if it's the guy who made, it's the one guy who made inscription, right? One or two guys. Daniel Mullins. Does that have any more artistic merit versus cyberpunk, which was made by a thousand people? Like, how do a thousand people collectively make one piece of art? Starfield. Yeah. I feel like is a good example of that. Because you have artists who are doing what from ship design to weapon design to Mm -hmm. planet design. You're just accessing so many artists to create all these different things. Then is in this cohesive product called Starfield. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, something that I never got involved in because it seems stupid to me. But now I wish I went back and, and read a little bit. Do you remember Roger Ebert famously came out and said, like, video games are not art? hmm Do you know why he said that? I don't know what his reasoning was. No. Now I want to go back and know what his reasoning is. Yeah. Um, because it might have something to say with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But for our discussion, I would say... No, not not inherently. Um, I do think a more stripped down vision makes it clear to evaluate what is created. Whereas the bigger team you have, maybe the bigger the challenges to evaluate whatever thing it is that you're watching or playing or engaging in. Mm-hmm. So Wes Anderson, you, you say like, oh, Wes Anderson's style. But his style is still like he has a DP. He has artists they works with, you know, to execute his vision. He's not up there painting every painting and and lighting every shot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
we can still attribute his vision to himself. So like Daniel Mullins, like inscription, I think that that falls in line with his vision. You can see him in it and then attribute it as like his art. Whereas Starfield, like you said, or cyberpunk. Yeah. Who made that? Whose name is on it? You know, there's a director, but I don't know who they are and they're not like, Front and center on it mm-hmm. uh, because they, because I think even they would know like they don't belong there. Um, so I think that's probably my, my evaluation is it's still art, but it's easier to evaluate it when it is one person or a smaller team of people mm-hmm. that you can see a clear vision in than when it's a triple a big product. Because then you're like, yeah, who, whose vision is, is this? And what, mm-hmm. and what is this, right? Like Cyberpunk is what, a hundred plus hour game? Inscription is nine? Mm-hmm. Um, from what I can find, uh, Roger Ebert's argument is video games are not art because they're a game. <laughs> That you play and you can win or lose. <laughs> That's just them briefly skimming through this thing. That now that makes me think like so. Board games aren't art to him. Again. Well, are they? Like, I mean, I think that's also questions. Like they have artistic elements, right? Like Destiny, like the art style and some of the worlds that are created artistically are very impressive, but. As a whole, is that is Destiny one big piece of art? To me, mm-hmm. it's more of a. It's just a company. <laughs> it's just the business model. I like, yeah, I like you know that I mean? you you attribute a game to a company. <laughs> it's not even a game. Destiny is not a game. It's a company. But it, at this, but it is. It's just a business. It's a model. brand. It's a literal. What are they called? Uh, living games. Living games. Games as service. Games as a service. There it is. It's not even a game. It's a service. Mm-hmm. But it's also telling it. My question for Destiny. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Does anybody on that staff, if they could, is in their in their vision, is Destiny actually just this like story? No. That's being told. The one of the, 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 the story is just the way that they get you more versions of their game, right? I'm going to Google Bungie still doesn't know what the darkness is. Um yeah. So the big core enemy bad thing in Destiny is quote unquote the darkness. Just this nebulous thing. I'm scared of and it. And the the whole joke, the whole meme has been that they've admitted they never had any idea what the darkness is. And they still don't know what it is. They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's it just falls on its face on that on that end of it. With that being said, there are some really like interesting ideas. Like like little micro ideas within the universe of destiny, you know what I mean. But as a whole, it doesn't come together. 
there's no like I'm going to hang I'm hanging destiny on the wall. Now look at it. That's a piece of art. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's funny though because you first got into destiny um especially one and I remember when you showed me destiny and I first started playing. I think that was destiny 2. Mm-hmm. I remember like their load screens, their symbology. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at some of those yeah. and being like, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's like a amazing way to conceive of a yeah. loading screen. Um, and some, some of that stuff is like, that's, that's art. Here's the thing that I would say to you then, like that service though, creates the space for art to happen. Sure. So art is happening in this big construct that is destiny, this service. Mm -hmm. But there are moments and aspects of destiny that you might even be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind a poster of that or Mm -hmm. like an original drawing of that. Like that's super cool. Yeah. Um, Did you watch the Jacob Geller video about the video game museum. I did. That was the other thing that had me thinking about it. And he mentions this in the video. And this is the same thing that I was thinking before, like as soon as he started talking about it. And then I've thought about before of like, these people are cataloging and want to preserve every video game ever do we need to have a copy of Madden 2013 (laughs) saved in perpetuity? (laughs) You know what I mean? At the same time, like... Do we need a copy of Noid's Revenge or whatever the Domino pizza video game was? You know what I mean? There were... His coverage of the Madden games Mm -hmm. made me, like, have a sensory flashback to watching football in John Madden blathering on especially mm-hmm. the thanksgiving day games where he'd bring out his eight-legged turkey and he would just talk all about how to like make a cook a turkey mm-hmm. and some of those audio clips of john madden i'm like i wouldn't want to lose that sure so like would you need you know madden 96 it's like, I, yeah, actually, does Madden talk on it? <laughs> I'd love to hear the old man say whatever. Yeah, I'd love, I, I, I feel like that is worthy of being preserved. Mm. The game, not so much. Mm-hmm. John Madden screaming over. Just his voice files. Yeah. It would be a shame if we lost John Madden's Drops. Exactly. Or Alex Jones's drops. Okay. Okie dokie. Um, before we go, mm-hmm. I did want to address our latest review. As we do. Okay. We yep. pause to comment. Uh, before we do that, did any quick words on foe? 
you recommended Foe on our last podcast, and I listened to it. The Ian Reed book. book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Foe was just a book that I grabbed. It, I find it so hard to commit to a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an agonizing decision because a bad Ooh. book is truly like one of the worst experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grabbed it on a whim from uh, from the library. It's a smaller book. Mm-hmm. I know he writes in a very like short, truncated way. He's only written two books. Nope, he's written a few. There's mm-hmm. another one. It spreads. Mm-hmm. Is another one they they Sound wrote. Dumb. Okay. <laughs> um. But so I so I start reading Foe, and pretty much within the first like fifteen pages, I'm I'm like. This is moving, and I'm I'm yeah. in, and ended up being a quick read. Let me pull up my again. Another reason why I love logging things because mm-hmm. I can just I don't have to remember. So let's see. Here's my review. Out of five stars, I gave it four point four. Okay. You apparently think that's what four stars too high. So arbitrary. Four point four? It's not arbitrary. <laughs> okay. There's a system. All right. It doesn't get the four or five because the four or five would mentally have people and have you being like, oh, so you could round that up to a five. It's like, nope, nope, nope. It's not. I wouldn't round that up to a five. It's a four or five. No, no, a lot of people. So you're basing your reviews on what other people are going to say about them? No, I think a lot of people in any area where you have five-star reviews will round up and round down. And I applied the decimal system because there is a range of liking between three and four. And between four and five, like half stars to me have value and you Uh can't. Do a half star. So this is on Goodreads? Yeah. So Goodreads just lets you put whatever fucking number you want in there. No, it has five stars. So how do you get to the point four? I just write it in my review. I do four <laughs> stars and That's then do right. 4.4. <laughs> That's right. We talked about that before. We did. <laughs> okay. So technically it's a four star review. So 4.4. Uh-huh, okay. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. I feel like I just got ambushed. Okay, okay, okay. Okie dokie. <laughs> I feel like, this is what I feel like. I feel like you just pulled a gun out on me <laughs> and shot it, but it, it, it's a blank. And you're acting like I just got headshot. Okay, but and speaking. I don't know. Okay, but going, going back to evergreen conversations, right? Our evergreen conversation is the subjectivity, the objectivity of art, right? Another evergreen conversation in the video game space is review scores. And a lot of reviewers, maybe not a lot, but whenever you hear people talk about it, they always want to move away from giving things a, an actual numerical score mm-hmm. because of how arbitrary it is and because how the real 
um, juice is in the review itself. And yet everyone just wants to look at the number. So it's just funny to me that you are going in the opposite direction of that and doubling down on the decimals. Well, here, so two quick things. Number one, the objectivity of art. I've claimed defeat a long time ago. I don't believe. Sure, but I mean, we're still dancing around it more or less. I think we're unpacking it. Okay, well, Um, there you go. Same thing. The So with reviews... Mm -hmm. In this review, it's always for me. It is only for me. Mm -hmm. I don't write these and expect people to read them. Mm -hmm. I don't expect to get like a following. I don't expect people to listen to this podcast and become fans of it. Mm -hmm. I don't. I literally do it for me, for we've talked about it, for like the record that Mm -hmm. it creates that I think would have specific value to my family mm-hmm. you know um and and other side benefits right so this decimal system <laughs> is not has nothing to do with that larger conversation sure and i understand if you're a professional reviewer you don't want because you want people to engage with your right. work for me though uh-huh. if i just what made me do this is just trying to log the stuff and create like my list like I like to do and whatever. I found myself clicking five stars on a lot of books that I like uh-huh. that meant a lot to me. That then when I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's not a five, but it's not a four. And for me, it's it's meaningful uh-huh. in a way that I want I want to recognize it for me, but I also want that distinction from like, well, it's a five star then. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, it's not. Not for me for these reasons. So anyway. It's a 4.4. It's a 4.4 okay. for me. And here's my, here's my quick, quick take on it. Um, about three quarters of the way through this, and I recommended this to you before I hit that. Mm-hmm. About three quarters of the way through this, I found my mind wandering to consider how to balance opaqueness and objectivity in stories like this. Did you read it, read it, or you listened to it? I read it okay. physically. Ones where the setup may just be background for the actual considerations of the story itself. The world building or background of a character is not the point. So move on or you'll miss the nuanced exploration of grief or ennui this author has created, um, has crafted for awards consideration and kind of going like back to like the reason why you create. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're enjoying Or like in this one, where the incongruities and the elliptical writing style are at least part of the point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think for me, I started wandering because it doesn't want to explain itself. It doesn't want to explain the world. This is just a world where somebody can show up to your house and say, you're in a lottery. Uh-huh. You're now going to space. And you go, okay. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, that's not, that's not our universe. That's not our world. Uh, okay. Right? Like if somebody showed up at your house and they said, you do not know this, but you were entered into a lottery, mm-hmm. you want you you are winning potentially. Um, and you will go to outer space. Right. But I mean it 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 uh, the wor- the world is it's ba- it's very clearly takes place in the near future, 
right? Global warming has wrecked Something, havoc. Yeah, we don't know. Like, it's all canola fields. There's some kind of, like, corporate monolith. There's that's definitely a couple instances here or there where they talk about, like, extreme heat. We've well, also yeah, yeah, had can't have animals anymore. Drafts and lotteries before in our in the history of our country. So I didn't feel like it was like out there, out there. Yeah. Again, I think I think I have a different I think I'm using it differently like out there out there not as like I really for me I I obviously I like the story mm-hmm. and to me it all made sense in the story he was telling. That's not what I mean. But I mean that if you wanted to kind of like understand the world, you don't read that book to understand that world more. You have oh, to like sure. do your own world building. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like, yeah, we've had drafts and but not like this. You you don't show up at someone's house and say, I'm taking you out of your home for years. And you're just going to Deal with it. Yeah. Also, I'm moving in. Also, I'm monitoring you. You know what I mean? Like, that's that. If you're just reading it, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? What do, What is this? You know? And it's because the story is doing something else. Sure. But even the care, I didn't get that feeling from the characters either, which I, I guess is why I didn't feel that way. Like, it, to me, it read like there was definitely a level of confusion, but there was also a level of acceptance, acceptance. of, like, we understand what's going on, but we don't understand why it's happening to us kind of a deal, I think. Yeah, but then us as the reader, we are left to be like, move on from that. Uh-huh. Don't Don't get caught up in... Wait, what company would have a, a lottery yeah. to disrupt the family out in the woods, out in nowhere? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, Ian Reed's like, nope, they accept it. Move on. Don't worry about it. That's not this. I'm not telling you about that company. Mm-hmm. This is not about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um how did you feel reading it? Did you feel like it was too long or too short? Did it go by quickly for you? Yeah. Oh. He's just farted. <laughs> oh, my fart. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah. So for me, just looking back on this, um, I was like, for me, it was on the balance. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was balancing perfectly on what is going on, what's the what's the mystery, where are we going, and then wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Definitely three quarters of the way through, I felt myself as a reader being like, "Okay, like, mm-hmm. what are we doing here?" And then he shifts. And then the whole ending is the explanation. Mm-hmm. You get answers to literally everything um, that happened in the narrative. So for me, it was like really compelling early on, middle, right when my attention started to drift, to want it to do something new. Mm-hmm. It did. And then it finished. I was like, yeah, 
that started to push my patience, but didn't mm-hmm. at the end. What about you? I can't get a sense of your feeling on this book. Uh, I liked it. Okay. I listened to it. Yeah. And after it was finished, I was left with a weird feeling of it's five hours long. And knowing that it's five hours long sounds like it's super long for what actually happens in the story. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like you could literally sum up what happens in the entire story in like two or three sentences. Yeah. But it didn't feel, it didn't ever feel to me like it was dragging along. Maybe that's because I was listening to it. But I never hit that. I never hit a moment where I was like, where is this going? I never got, I never felt like, you know, there's an extra hour or something in here. Uh, Almost, I mean, I guess to the same degree, it makes sense as um, I'm thinking of ending things. But that's a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. But it has that same sort of energy where it just starts and it goes and like a couple hours have gone by and nothing has really happened, but it also doesn't feel like a couple hours have gone by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. Um, what have you heard about the movie? The movie, it, it got made into a movie, right? Yeah. It got and the made movie's movie. out now. It's coming. It played at festival. Okay. It's coming, it's coming out. Out. It's gotten bad reviews from what I read. Yeah. Like people are like, eh, it's fine. And to me, yeah, I'm like, I can imagine you making it a play. Maybe I don't yeah. see how you would make this a movie. It just seems so boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it does have some passages that I like took a picture of so I could remember. Yeah, so I, I do think it's beautifully read. I really like his writing style. It, yeah, it, it, it works for me. Yeah. Um, I like how short his sentences are, short his chapters are. Right, he, he's just he gets into his story. Okay. Um, okay. So, and our review. We have a review from Pretty <sighs> Pretty Pimpin eighty seven. Health talk. Nope. Three stars. Yep. Listening to the latest app is how it feels to listen to my papa talk about his last visit to the doctor. <laughs> yep. Great review, and also that papa sounds sick as hell. I. <laughs> Recommend it to your papa. Uh-huh. Right? Sure. I'd love to have uh, an Talk audience to. of papas who can relate to my health issues uh-huh. and thoughts. Sure. Hey, the more the merrier. So any Suck my white ass. I was gonna say anything to say pretty pimpin. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, suck my white ass, pretty pimpin. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for the review. Thanks for any, anything. Um, yeah, I think we had a few drop out. We've shamed some of our one star reviewers off. That's what you get. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Bye bye. Bye bye. I love you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.